You are invited. Good morning, Grace Place Church. We wanted to play that to remind you that this is an invite Sunday coming up, the baptism Sunday. But uh, not just that, there is another big boatload of stuff going on next week. It is a big Sunday because it is the 4th of July. Rarely um, you know, does that happen for us. The uh, Sunday lands on the, the 4th of July. So uh, we are going to celebrate that here following uh, the worship service. We're going to have hot dogs. And, and I think we have a food truck coming or a, um, the icy one, right? The Kona Ice. There we go. Those guys were geniuses because um, what holds up the, the line in, in getting your, you know, uh, icy, right, is the, the kids that go up there and they want at one of everything. <laughs> and so these guys invented a truck where it's built in and this guy just hands them an, an, a cup of ice and they just walk down there, and while we decide what we want, they're just slaughtering that ice cup, right, <laughs> with all kinds of stuff. So uh, those guys will be back, and uh, we're going to have some games. I think we have a bouncy house coming, and uh, or is it water? Water slide. Water slide. So you want to have the kids, um, you know, you, you can put their best clothes on them and throw them in the water. That's fine. <laughs> it's going to be great, but it'll be an invite Sunday, but we also have a guest speaker which is going to be great. It starts, we're opening a series, the Blessed series. Uh, we're going to be teaching on the uh, Sermon on the Mount and uh, the blessed are you because, and so we have a whole slot of speakers coming up. There's a total of six of them that are coming uh, one right after another, and you're going to enjoy it. It's a big part of the summer, every summer that we turn these guys loose on you one time a year. So they practice and rehearse and they're ready to go and and uh, it's going to be a great great summer we're excited about it so don't miss it at all um, today we're going to be talking about water baptism and next week we get to practice it right if you would like to be baptized you haven't been or maybe there's been a significant event in your life uh, recently uh, and you want to revisit uh, water baptism and say lord i'm starting afresh and anew and uh, I want everyone in my family to know that, making it public. We've got these cards, and they, you can find one at the back table. Jake will get you signed up after service. And uh, please come tonight at 5. It's very brief. We'll just talk through water baptism and answer questions you might have. After today, hopefully you don't have a lot of them. We'll explain uh, exactly what it's all about. And uh, we're excited about you coming. Invite friends if you're being baptized and family members to come and share that day with you. It's really big. <coughs> so here we are, Colossians chapter 2. Will you turn there with me? One, two, am I on? There we go. Colossians chapter 2, we're beginning at verse 6. You can even hear me swallow water on the mic. It's amazing. These mics are special. Special lighting, special mics. <clears throat> are we there? Colossians chapter uh, 2, beginning at verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Everybody in the rooted class, get ready. Are you ready? 
rooted and built up in him, strengthened in your faith, and you were taught and overflowing with uh, thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. We're going to revisit this at the end of the message. Which depends on human tradition and elements of spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in a bodily form. And in Christ you have been bought are brought to the fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by your flesh was put off and you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the Lord, uh, in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Father, we're grateful for today. We thank you for these next few moments together. And we invite, Lord, your Holy Spirit to teach us and to open our hearts and our understanding. Forgive us as teachers any time that we have come and as if we have something unique in our own selves to bring. I'm asking, Lord, that you would rise up within me, teach your people today through me, use me for your glory, and God, that we would come to understand better what baptism is really all about. In Jesus' name, amen. I had an interesting experience when I first got to Bible college. I thought I had a good understanding of what water baptism was, and I was immediately challenged by someone who became a friend, and uh, they had a different view of what water baptism was about, had been raised differently, uh, came up in, in a different kind of a denomination, and uh, had brought some, some baggage along with water baptism. And so uh, the challenge for, uh, in, in this instance, was this young man believed that water baptism was a part of your salvation. So not only do you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and you make him the Lord and the leader of your life, um, that's not complete, that you needed also then to be immediately baptized or very shortly thereafter. And he had a couple of scripture passages that he brought forward to me to challenge uh, my understanding about water baptism, that it was uh, along the line of our proclamation of, of being um, you know, followers of Jesus Christ. And so he said, yeah, you know, it, it, it is a part of your salvation. And he quoted a passage out of Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he went over to 1 Peter chapter 3, um, verses 20 and 21. And he read this passage which sometimes were disobedient. He's talking about 
um, the history of mankind in the days of Noah, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but um, the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, it took several weeks for me to set down with him and, and help him understand that context of passages in Scripture is, is not a particular one passage of Scripture or a verse before or after, but the whole context of Scripture, when we're trying to understand what is being said here doctrinally, what should we believe about this, is this whole book. <laughs> we want to take the whole book and take a look at it and, and look in context, right? Every Scripture passage has a context, an immediate context, within um, the, the chapter or the book in which it was written, but it also has a broader context, which is the Word of God. And so, as we went through this, I was able to help him see um, the error of looking at water baptism as a part of your salvation. Now, um, it, we're all going to be challenged um, in different ways in our life, so I wanted to bring that out in the introduction uh, because you may be challenged by this, may have been already, and, uh, there, but there certainly are other things, right, where people will challenge you about your faith and what, what you believe. So quickly touching on these two passages, let's go through them together and see why that this would not hold water uh, in the context of the whole of Scripture, right? So the one that uh, begins saying, repent and be baptized, that out of, out of uh, Acts, uh, the totality of that Scripture reveals that the Savior is Jesus, not the water. And you can see that clearer in the second passage that he used, right? Look at the second passage uh, that he used. For we're in a few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure whereunto even uh, baptism doth now save us, not the putting uh, away of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, I want you to look up here for just a minute. I'm going to ask, because we've done this in our leadership groups, we've talked through some of these doctrinal things, right? And so I'm going to ask all of our leaders not to answer, okay? So I know that's, they always want to give it away, right? I'm really glad Michelle's not here because she jumps up all the time, you know, has the answer. Because I just want us to take time to think a little deeper about uh, sections like this, okay? So for, for that reason, if you're in leadership, you've been in leadership classes, whatever, I, I just want you to, to sit back and just, you know, button it up and wait and let everybody think about this, Okay. Here's the question for you out of that passage. What was the object uh, that, uh, that Noah and his family's uh, salvation? What was the object of Noah and his family's salvation? Think about it for just a moment. Everyone on the earth, when it flooded, perished except Noah and his family. How did they alone survive? In that particular instance, what was their object of salvation? What saved them from drowning? We're thinking about it for a minute. If you know the answer, slip your hand up. Not leadership, but anybody. You know, we're not going to treat you badly. It's what what saved them actually from drowning. Did the water save them? 
How many of you believe the water saved Noah and his family from drowning? It drowned everybody else, <laughs> and it would have drowned them. What was Noah building that was going to save them from the water? Anybody know? The ark. The ark it was. And so in this passage, oh, look at there. We have a picture of the ark. Uh, Modern-day picture of the ark. Uh, you can go visit that. Where is it that they have that? Uh, not they have one in Branson, I think. Ohio. Okay. Has anybody been to the Ark? No. They're building. They built one, and you can go visit it. It's really cool. So here is the here's the Ark. The Ark was what saved them. And uh, so understanding uh, the truth of passages like this, it's clear. Water doesn't save, right? Water drowned everybody that was uh, on the earth, and so uh, clear throughout Scripture that it teaches that Jesus saves us. So if water baptism then is not what saves us, what could it be? A surprisingly large number of people see water baptism as Christian initiation, right? You are now a Christian, and you must be baptized. Uh, that would be something along the lines of a ceremony into membership group, like the club, the Lions Club or the Rotary Club. But the question then would be, if it is an initiation into a club or into a group, what club was Jesus being initiated into when he got baptized, right? The Jesus Club. I mean, belonging to the Jesus Club. So it seems clear that water baptism is not salvation, right? Water baptism is not being initiated into a club or a group because a lot of people hang out with Christians and go to church regularly and even sign membership cards and those kinds of things and, and have not yet been baptized. And so it's not a, a thing of, of, of membership there. So uh, what, what is the, the deal? What is going on with that? You may see it as um, a symbol of Christianity, but there's something more to it than just that, right? And as we examine this passage here, that we have just read. I want to uh, just throw out a warning in the beginning that don't miss the forest for the trees. There's a lot packed into this, and Colossians 2, 10 through 15 especially, is a virtual rainforest of uh, gospel timber for us. And so we just want to today take a bird's eye view of this because it ties in to our understanding about what baptism is all about. And what we're looking at in this passage to begin with is, is what God has done for us, right? And what he has done in us. What God has done for us and what God has done in us so that we can indeed inherit what he has purchased, right? So what has God done for us first? Let's start there. It says in this passage, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. I really remember a, a season or a time where Michelle and I, early in our marriage, had what seemed like an insurmountable debt um, that had been accrued, um, both of us helping out, right? And uh, we, it was taking a chunk of, of our, you know, uh, work week. Vanessa was talking about uh, payday. And, you know, we were not as excited about payday because it meant we're paying bills, right? We're, we're paying off things. And I remember when we, we got to the point that we paid that debt off and how that lifted that burden off of our shoulders. 
And when you look at what Christ has done for us, that he has paid the debt, our indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he nailed it to the cross. There was, in the, in the time in which they were living in those days, when a debt was canceled, the bill collector would go to the door of that person's house and nail uh, you know, onto that a paper that said that their debt had been canceled, it had been fully paid. So not only did that family know it, but everybody knew it. I imagine people would let that hang on their doors for months. Hey, did you see my, my debt got paid? <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, they were excited about being debt-free, and so they really understood this passage in a way maybe you and I don't fully understand. He canceled the debt. So first the enemy, uh, you know, uh, Christ defeated uh, the enemy. He, took, he gave us, um, you know, uh, there was a certificate of debt upon us, and, and Christ took that, and that certificate of debt had been canceled in the courtroom of heaven. <clears throat> there is no debt against you and I. In other words, because of our sin and rebellion, the laws of God had become deadly witnesses against you and I. And we were subject to what the consequences of the law bore out. And Christ came in and paid that for us. Isn't that great? And so the great enemy of uh, our, our, uh, the one who, who uh, had the debt against us, our sins have been forgiven. And then it says... And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them with the cross. The second enemy defeated was this spiritual host of evil, the devils and their forces. And it says that uh, in, in uh, Revelations 12 and 11, we get a picture of this, that they overcame the devil because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We must fight, but the battle belongs to the Lord. You and I uh, must engage, right? We must do what God has called us to do, but we've already won because he's the one who is the enforcer of every blow that we strike with the sword, right? Every dart we, sh we raise the shield of faith up against. We must fight but the battle belongs to the Lord, and he gives the decisive blow. So Satan cannot destroy us. So that's what was done for us. Now, what, was, what has God done in us? And, and it says in this passage, he uses two pictures here. One is of circumcision, and the other is of resurrection. And uh, verse 13 focuses mainly on our resurrection. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all of your sins. So we see that he, he does this in us. We're spiritually dead, and then we're made alive again. It's a work that you and I can't do. I would love to be able to do it. I would love to be able to go save people. There's a lot of people I met just this week I'd like to save, wouldn't you? <laughs> we don't have that ability. But he does that in us. He brings death to life. You were saved because God spoke life-giving, resurrecting words into your heart. He raised you from the dead. The other picture that he gives us here is that one of, of circumcision 
decision, and that's a little bit more complex for us. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole life, uh, self-ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now, this is a little bit harder for us to understand. Paul compares the saving work of God to us to the practice of circumcision, which we're familiar with. But we know it, the physical circumcision. We understand that part of it. But he says, this is a circumcision that God did in you and I. He did it without, his, without hands. All circumcision that you and I know about, that the people of this day knew about, was done with hands. It's a spiritual thing that he's talking about here, not a physical one. And he says that what's being cut away is not uh, male foreskin, but what's being cut away is the body of flesh is being separated. There's a beautiful picture of this in the New Testament where in Timothy talks about the word of God being sharper than a two-edged sword that comes to divide between marrow and bone, between, help me out those of you who remember it, between marrow and bone, and what's the other part? See, here's where you need your leadership right here, is it? Soul and spirit. The soulish nature of us is our flesh nature. It's the nature that has a, a full understanding of uh, what our wants, desires, and needs are. It's, it's where our mind, will, and emotions is. And it's, it's the makeup of us that, that is the, the craving after that we're trying to suppress at times, appetite-wise, right? Uh, in, in every way, not just the food on the table, but the lusts of the flesh and pride of life and all those kinds of things. We're trying to keep that thing, that monster at bay at times, aren't we? And, and God says the only thing that works is the word of God. It divides and it gives your spirit a chance to rise up and command the organization and say no. And how, does it, how, does, how do we say no? The same way Jesus did in uh, Matthew chapter 4, right? And when he's in um, the, the temptation in the desert and, and the enemy comes to him and he quotes the scripture in context. The enemy quotes it out of context, just throw yourself off the pen. It's written that the angels will catch you, and uh, that's not doctrinally true, <laughs> because Jesus came back and said, let me give you the whole counsel of that. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And so let's balance all this out with the truth, and that's how we, our spiritual man, woman, rises up and speaks life to the rest of us, that we all come into conformity to what God wants us to do. And Paul says that's, that's, that's a, a spiritual circumcision that has happened in your life. That's something that God's done that has allowed you to be free. How are you free when you're in Christ? That The word of God literally separates and divides there so that you, uh, your spiritual man is alive now first, the resurrection that took place, and now is in charge, right? Alive and in charge. There's a difference between being alive and somebody else being in command, right? But Paul says in a split second, when you surrendered to Christ, two things happened. You became alive in Christ, and you also got to be in charge. Your spirit man got to be in charge, right? We're going to do what God says, not what my flesh is saying that it wants. 
And the spirit man, woman, is able to quiet the flesh and say, we are going to obey God rather than men. So what is baptism if it is not salvation? And what is baptism if it is not joining uh, Christian initiation, joining a club or whatever? Then we're cleft with this, this clear understanding of what baptism is. Baptism is an external expression of a spiritual reality. An external expression of a spiritual reality. It's, it's a declaration, if you will, from us that we are followers of Christ. It's symbolic in the sense of these things that were talked about in this passage, buried with Christ when we go underwater, risen with him in the new resurrection, and now your spirit man and woman is in charge. The old man, the old nature is still down there under the water. He keeps trying to come back to life. Anybody had trouble with that old man or old woman trying to come back to life? Paul later says, and he tells, I think, the church in Colossians 2 that he's daily trying to kill this guy off, you know, so that he's always trying to resurrect, and Paul's always putting him down every day. Christ is going to be Lord in our life, Right? So Christ does a, a circumcision without hands that the New Testament's talked about, and through your faith in the work of God who raised him from the dead. So faith in Christ followed by baptism, because baptism is a public proclamation of what he has done inside of you and in, inside of me. It's not salvation. It's not an initiation. It's a proclamation of, of the first act of obedience that you and I have, uh, have made in Christ. And I want to put a little emphasis on that as we, as we get near the end here. The um, first act of obedience. Okay, there, there are some first acts of obedience when we become a believer, right? I think, um, you know, being faithful in the, as, a, as a member of the body of Christ is one of the first acts of obedience. To be baptized, because Jesus said, do this as I have done it. Follow me in this. I think that's one of our first acts of obedience. And, and I think being a giver, you know, giving to the, the work of the Lord and the mission field, answering the call. These are our opportunities to immediately say, I am acting in obedience to God in, in ways that are demonstrably everybody else around me can see. Right? I'm being baptized in obedience to God, not because I'm joining a club, not because, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a part of my salvation. I am doing it as one of the first acts of obedience to the Lord. Your story for God's glory is what water baptism is all about. The story of what you used to be and the story of what you become. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through the faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. So what should... I come to expect from other Christians as a result of what Paul's talking about here. This, 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 when, when I'm looking for somebody who is a fellow believer, they're a Christian, they're saved, they're surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What will I see in their lives? Well, I think there are, there are three glaring things that we see in Christians um, that we can immediately recognize if we are a believer. Number one is that they're growing. They have, a, they have a passion to grow in Christ. 
to live our lives in him rooted and built up, it said. They are, they are people who are living grateful. They're overflowing with thankfulness. Paul uses that language in that passage. Overflowing with thankfulness. You know, when Jesus said, and, and this was a good word I heard uh, this week, Alistair Begg, uh, one of the podcasts I listened to, he was talking about the Lord's Prayer. And he was saying how that we kind of jump into our list, right? It is a shortcut. It's like, God, you know, a bunch of things here today, you know, um, while I have your ear, uh, you know, protect my family, protect me on my drive-in, uh, you know, help me to get a raise. And we just start going through these different litanies of things. But when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, and let's, let's say this together, what, how do we start? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those. You see where he starts in the beginning is, is that, that praise and worship and thankfulness. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, and I think we make a mistake every time that we start off with a list. It's okay to carry the list, right? God wants to know. He wants to hear from you. But let's start off with it, with this whole, because what happens is it changes your list. When you start off with gratitude, you know, when I start thinking about, when I, at, at night when I'm praying for all of my family, and I'm praying for each of the kids and the grandkids and stuff like that, when I start off with, God, I'm so thankful for how you have already taken care of them, how you have already provided for them, how you have already healed them and, and watched over them. And, and so, you know, my list is just, will you continue? <laughs> you know, he's been faithful. He's been good. And so one of the things that we see in fellow Christians and believers and followers of Christ is that gratefulness. And then the third one that Paul talks about here, spend just a moment on, is this wide awake. This, this alertness. He says, you're immune to the hollow and deceptive philosophies of men. We have a, a generation right now declaring their wokeness. They're unconscious, all of them. They're unconscious. They're to the spiritual things. They're conscious to, to carnal, to carnality. So when they're talking about being woke, they're talking about being asleep, as you and I understand it. They're asleep to the spirit. Uh, they're, they're alive to carnality. Well, congratulations. Every person on the planet is alive to carnality, right? They all have their own little pet things, you know? You've got one that you want everybody else to embrace and enjoy because, because you don't want to be condemned for it, feel personal guilt for it. And so as a result of that, you want everybody on the planet to celebrate the sin that you've chosen. Well, I got news for you. Everybody on the planet has one they want you to celebrate, Right? There's murderers that would like you to celebrate with them. There's thieves that would like you to celebrate with them. Liars, gossipers, you know, the list goes on. Unfaithful, you know, husbands, unfaithful wives who, who would love for you to join in and not condemn them, right? They want you to be woke, right? But here Paul is giving us clear definition. We started the year uh, last year. That was our theme, was Awaken. 2020, what a theme, huh? <laughs> long before we knew all the stuff that was going on. Awaken. Paul's saying, 
One of the things you're going to see about Christians, people who are true followers of Jesus Christ, now last week I quoted a statistic that, you know, George Barna had, a third of, of Christians, you know, did not return to the church, you know, physically or watch online across the nation, those numbers. And we, we've seen those things bear out. I've, I've talked with other pastors. We've seen that number pretty close, you know, uh, around here in, in local areas here. And uh, what does that say about the church? Nothing. The church has always been the church. That just says some people who were fans of Jesus kind of fell off the bandwagon, right? The followers of Jesus are still followers of Jesus. They are still committed that the church is doing fine. Don't worry about the church, right? It's without spot or wrinkle. The church, it's a glorious church. It's accomplishing great things. In the midst of all of this, there's great revival going on. I'm hearing amazing things. You know, um, was it Sean Foyt was in, uh, in a, uh, a place in Chicago yesterday or day before. 4,000 people show up. Two days before that, literally 15 or 20 people had just been slaughtered in that street in murder and gang violence. 4,000 people show up to praise God. The church is fine. The church is fine, right? The hangers-on are not so good, right? But the church is doing fine. And what, what is going to happen, and, and let me encourage you and those of you who are listening online, here's what's going to happen because we've seen this, uh, you know, throughout history, the Great Awakenings, right? How does a Great Awakening happen? The, the woke get their fill of sin and they still are not fulfilled. They get everything they want. They get all the rights they want. They get everything they want. Uh, all in, in all the debauchery and all the depravity of man. And they are miserable. And there is an awakening that begins to happen. The Jesus movement in my era, in my lifetime, in the 1960s, where everybody went out to find themselves and wound up finding Jesus. <laughs> Amen. And they go, find me. I'm the most important person on the planet. I'm not going to listen to the man. The man doesn't know what I'm talking about. You know, I'm going to go find me. And I lived in parks and vans, and, and they all hung out together and started communes and wound up finding Jesus, right? <laughs> Amen. The Calvary chapels all across the nation are uh, a testimonial to what happened in the Jesus movement. Uh, Chuck Smith and so many others. Uh, great churches were born and and uh, exploded across the nation, non-denominational kinds of things that just exploded everywhere as a result of the Jesus movement, people just coming in to find Jesus. I remember Chuck Smith talking about um, one of the groups that became very popular during uh, my time, and um, he, you know, they, they uh, sang a lot of Christian music and did some um, albums and things like that. They started in his church, and he had heard, they asked if they could perform for him. You know, this youth group was growing, and this is, uh, you know, in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, and uh, it was really beginning to blossom. And so he says, yeah, so after, after a service, he sits around and lets them play instruments, and they're really good. They're, they were called love songs. Anybody remember a love, love song? And um, so he's, he's like, uh, well, yeah, you, you guys are really good. He said, uh, and they'd written some songs about Jesus and stuff like that and sang them for him. He loved them. And he says, uh, yeah, he says, uh, why don't you guys uh, come and play for our Saturday? we got a big Saturday youth thing. There's going to be hundreds of uh, kids here. And he said, why don't you guys play 
you know, like uh, three or four songs for that. And guys like, well, um, they're talking to each other and like, oh yeah, yeah. I think our drummer's gonna be out of jail by Saturday, so that'll be good. <laughs> God turns the tables on the enemy and he's doing it right now. And there's gonna be a great awakening, trust me. And we, though, need to be wide awake. And that's, a, some, that's something that you see in the church, the followers of Jesus Christ. They're immune to hollow, deceptive philosophies of men. People are reintroducing things that are tired and old and ugly. They've been around forever. And we're like, yeah, you just renamed it. It's, it's still death. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's life. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you repackaged it, and it still smells like trash. Let me tell you about the Rose of Sharon. And <laughs> as our worship team, if they would come, we're going to receive um, communion together today, which is so great that we're doing these back to back, the two ordinances of the church, that Holy Communion and Holy Baptism back to back. Yeah, thank you, Jake. I brought one up and I forgot where I left it. Those of you who are online, if you have a moment to go and, and prepare elements, if you have crackers, you want to use water as a symbol, these are symbolic. There's nothing magical about what we have here. Um, we, we are being in this reminded of what Jesus has done, but one of the things that's so uh, awesome about uh, coming to the Lord's table to receive communion is it is his table, and he opened it. And uh, so if you're here today and you uh, have not participated in communion before, or you're online, you're listening, it's, it's as simple as us coming to him first and asking him for forgiveness. And, and I want to begin there. I just want us to start and just say, if you'd like to stand with us, everybody together here, in your own way, as I pray, you pray for you. Lord, we ask you to forgive us of our sins. We ask you to cleanse us from all that is unrighteous, that is ugly, that's been in our lives. We want to make you the Lord and the leader of our life. And we, therefore, in a moment of time, these things that Paul talked about, the resurrection and the circumcision not made by hands, are happening in us. That as we ask you to forgive us, you are faithful to do that. As we ask you to be the Lord and the leader of our life, you are faithful to do that. And so now, Lord, we are at your table on your terms. And we're just asking God that you would lead us forward. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Let's take that which represents the body of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your broken body. We are in every way unworthy of that sacrifice that you've made, but through you, we've been made worthy. Through you, we've been made righteous. And Father, as we receive that which represents the body of the Lord, let us remember to be broken for our world around us. There is a great awakening that's coming, and we need to be ready to embrace those who are hungry, to have a simple answer, our testimony, for those who will reach out and say, I've had my fill of what sin offers, and I don't want any more. Show me what Jesus has to offer. Help us, God, to be able to demonstrate your great love for every man, woman, and child on this planet, every race, every culture, 
Lord, every creature. God, we thank you for what you accomplished for us. And we receive this in Jesus' name. When we get to the part of receiving that which represents the blood of the Lord Jesus, I often think about, you know, the uh, early first sin, really, that we see recorded in Scripture where Cain kills his brother. And, you know, God approaches him and asks him, you know, where his brother is. God knows what's happened, you know. It's an accountability moment. It's a chance for him to throw himself at the mercy of God. And, and um, it doesn't immediately happen. But he, you know, God says to him, I hear the blood of your brother calling to me. It, in Leviticus, um, this is kind of put in perspective. There's a passage in Leviticus that says that the life of the body is in the blood. And there, there obviously is a cry of, of unjustly spilt blood that calls out to God that he hears. He hears it. And it's, it's, it is a call for justice. It's a call for God to set things right. You know, whether it was taken by murder or it was somebody who was authorized through government to do something that, that uh, is unjust to someone else. And the spilt blood, and that blood has a voice and it cries out. And as I thought through that, I thought about in the New Testament that the blood of Jesus spilled down on the earth and it has a voice too. It cries out. So while all these voices of martyrs and voices of, of those who've been murdered and, and lives have been unjustly taken are crying out to God, judge the earth, deal with sin. The voice of Jesus is crying out, mercy, God. Forgive them because they don't know what they do. I am so glad for the blood of Jesus because the justice of God had um, weighed down heavy on mankind and I stood in the way of judgment and, and God could have dealt with me so severely, save the blood of Jesus that has that voice that cries out, Father, forgive them. Lord, we thank you for that blood that was shed for us. And as we receive this today, we do remember the cost and remember what it means for us personally. Thank you, Jesus.